We come now to the class about transformation. We started in the last class, and we finish it up now. And in summary, we're talking about the need to disciple new converts and to see in them transformation in seven different areas. We spoke about the spiritual transformation that's needed, the regeneration by the Spirit of God to be born again. We also talked about the heart transformation. God gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of a stone. This addresses the rebellious spirit in man. God wants us to open our hearts to Him, be circumcised in the heart. We also need the transformation of the mind. This is a big one because our minds are so filled with the old things, with the wrong theology about who God is and who man is and how to reach God and how to live out the Christian life. We need a transformation of the mind. We also need the transformation in character, that the new believer is stronger and stronger and is able to handle temptation, handle to the difficulties of life, relationships, brokenness, um, suffering, and other things. And the fifth area of transformation is the moral and ethical, which is a big thing. Many Muslims struggle with this ethical and moral things. Um, some of it is about lying and deception, about uh, uh, sexual uh, sin and lust. Um, we need to help them to grow in their holiness, in their righteousness before God, to, uh, to live out the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Now we come to the point of cultural transformation, which is the sixth area of transformation that's needed. And this area is a bit uh, tricky because a lot of people in the missionary world think that culture is neutral. And, uh, and there are books and books written about this from anthropology and psychology and sociology. I'd like to look at the Word of God, how God views culture. I would not say that everything in a culture is bad. But look what God says in Genesis chapter 6. In verse 5 it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's the mind and the heart. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And the uh, flood follows. So here it says, God saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. That means sin has grown and grown, went from Adam and Eve to their family. There was uh, murder in their family. Brother kills brother. And then the society gets corrupted. And we have, uh, it goes on even past uh, the flood, uh, the scattering of the nations where people decided to go against God and, and build a temple uh, that reaches God without God. Bab El, door to heaven, without God. So man's heart and mind was corrupted. And this is culture. Culture is a sum total of many in families and individuals. And if individuals are all sinners, then the culture is all sinners as well. 
God did create us as cultural beings, social beings, human beings. But we have corrupted our own society and went our own way. We need to help people come out of darkness into the light of Christ. Out of the community of deception and wrong uh, behavior and lifestyle that's not honoring to God, into the new uh, community of believers. First Peter chapter 2 uh, tells us that we must behave royally. Why must we behave ro- royally? Because we are royal. We are sons of the King of kings and Lord of lords. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen people. The word chosen here is similar to the word elect, meaning you are selected, elected from the world to be the elite, so to speak. I'm not talking about social and cultural eliteness, talking about eliteness in the eyes of God, identity. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We belong to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Culture in the Bible has the word world. We are not of this world. We need to get out of this world, even though we still live in it. And Jesus in his prayer uh, in Gethsemane, in John chapter 17, referred to that. That God would not take us out of this world, but help us, to manage to live in this world in holiness in a way that would honor God. Culture is an enemy of many of the Muslims, in fact all of them, because in, in their Islamic culture there's so many things, restraints on them. Uh, for instance, you're not allowed to, get, uh, to think for yourself. That's a cultural thing. You're not allowed to ask questions, you're not allowed to question anything. The women abuse, the looking down at women, this is all cultural things. We need to be alert about these things and see a transformation first in their heart and mind, but also in their lifestyle, which affects the culture. First John 1, 5-7 speaks about the old life being living in the darkness. And we need to walk in the light meaning walk in the truth. In Colossians 1.12, talks about the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You see, the kingdom of, of God is the kingdom of light. That means we put the dark things of this world behind us and we leave the acts of darkness which comes from our culture and our morality and our makeup to uh, live a new a newness of life in allegiance to God and to His community. In James chapter 2, verse 5 says, God chose us to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him. We have a new kingdom, and the new kingdom is a new culture. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Revelations 5.10 this is not a talk about culture. There's a lot of issues in regarding to culture that I cannot, uh, it's a, uh, cannot deal with right now. 
But cultural transformation is important. There are things in the culture that need to go so that we can live a new lifestyle with a new community of believers in the body of the church. The seventh area of transformation, I dare say, is religious transformation. Now, a lot of Christians do not like the word religion, and I actually don't like it either. But the fact of the matter, in fact, it was a, it was a, a Pakistani man, a Muslim, who did, never became a Christian, although he was very interested and I had great discussions with him. He's the one who told me, why do you not talk about religion? Why do you say religion is not good? Because he heard me preach about this, that religion uh, is not what we preach. We, we preach a relationship with God. It's true that we have a relationship with God. But a religion is that social and economic and cultural and political structure to which someone belongs. And in Islam, culture and religion and politics are all combined together. They're meshed together. You can't separate them. And that very fact in this cultural makeup of Islam is that makes it so difficult for many Muslims to make the shift, to convert and become Christians. <clears throat> Therefore, it's okay to work with them on a religious transformation. But what I want to address in this is the difference between a religion of works and a religion of faith. Still using the word religion, but it's not the religion of works. And I suspect the reason evangelicals don't like the word religion is because of this issue of works. I remember once I decided to preach about works in my church. And I guess that one of the people in the church is going to raise his hand and say, Hey, this is a message about works. And that's exactly what happened. Because evangelicals are very worried about earning their salvation through works. We must be clear in our theology. We cannot earn our salvation through any number of good things that we do. No matter how good we are. And how many good things we do, we cannot earn our salvation because salvation is a gift of God. We don't deserve heaven because we are good. We deserve heaven only because Jesus deserves heaven because He is righteous and He is good. But that does not mean we cannot emphasize works. We must emphasize faith for salvation Works for sanctification. Works, a religion of works, is one that depends on God to do the good work. We are freed from the law, the religion of the law, but we are slaves to the religion of the Spirit of God, as in Galatians 5, 16 to 18, and also in Romans 7, 4 to 6. Paul was very clear that though we are not any more slaves to sin, we enslave ourselves to the law of God in the Spirit. So religious transformation is important. There are people who say you can remain a Muslim and, uh, and you can still follow Jesus Christ. I found this to be a, a destructive idea that has left many people 
in the claws of Islam, in the claws of darkness, and a number of them who believed in Jesus and remained in their cultures, and they have actually backslidden away from God. A religion uh, of faith also is a religion to the living God, not to idols and to false teaching. So we need to teach what is the true religion. And the Bible uses the word religion a few times. So now in summary, working with Muslims, ministry to Muslims, has these two major elements. One is evangelizing, sharing the good news of the gospel, telling people that Jesus is the only way to be saved but also to disciple them and to see them to full maturity. Ministry to Muslims is both simple and complicated. But we need to know before we delve into ministry, what is the goal? Where are we headed with this? Are we just trying to gather people to fill the pews of churches? Are we trying to just multiply home fellowships so that we can have thousands and thousands of people meeting to do Bible studies? I believe our goal should be more than that. And the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 should give us the answer to that. When we evangelize people, they come to know Jesus Christ, we disciple them, we see them grow into full maturity. But there's a bigger purpose, and that is, in, uh, in Ephesians 4, 7, to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended to high, on high he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was He who, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And the purpose of all these gifts that God apportions to the people in the body of Christ is verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We become like Him. We grow into Him and we follow in His steps. Evangelism and discipleship is much easier when you look into the Word of God and see how Jesus did it, and you learn from Him. How He loved people, how He won them to Himself, how He taught them and explained things to them, how He touched their lives with healing. He prayed for them. He prayed with them and chose a few of them to invest his time. He had only three years 
I often challenge missionaries, if you had only three years in this country, how would you do it? There are people who spend three years just settling down or learning a language. I understand all that, but there's a big challenge here to be effective, to be fruitful, and to use the principles and the example Jesus set before us. Too bad that many people go to all kinds of schools, of evangelism, that learn all kinds of things, and they avoid the very simple example of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. When, when we disciple people, we need to see it more than just a Bible study, a weekly prayer meeting, or an occasional hanging out with people. We are building up active members of the body of Christ. We are building up the organs to be functional so that they will also pass on what they have learned. The purpose is to see them trained. And that adds that last point in this whole course, and that is training. We win them. We bring them in. We teach them. We grow them. We empower them. And in the end, we send them. We send them. To send them is to train them in the very things that you have learned. What you are doing with this person, they need to learn how to do it with other people as well. Training requires a desire on their, on their part to be used by God. And that requires that you interact with them through prayer, through counsel, through guiding them, and also finding their spiritual gifts. The gifts that we read about here, there are multiple gifts. The Spirit of God distributes the gifts. I remember the first six believers, Albanian believers in Kosovo. I sat with them. Uh, four of them were on a couch and two on another couch. And I was sitting in a chair. And I can never forget that when I looked at each one of them and I asked them questions about their gifts and talents, their natural gifts, because they were all new believers. And then I prophesied for them that the Lord is going to use them in these various areas. Here's one who's become a pastor. Here's another who's become a pastor. A third has become a pastor. One has become a worship leader. Another one became a writer. Another one became the accountant administrator in the church. These gifts you need to identify in them so that you can help them uh, use their gifts for the building of the body of Christ. That the whole body will reach maturity. Too many people come to know Christ for selfish purposes. They want to be saved. When I came to the Lord, I didn't care about the world. I didn't care about my church. I just cared that I wouldn't go to hell. And I repented genuinely and sincerely with sweating of the, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I did not have a vision for the world. I, I accepted Christ. I was saved. And probably I would still be saved today even if I didn't serve God in all these things because God's promises never fail. If we accept Him, He will give us life. But there were people who mentored me. There were people who told me that it's not about you, George. It's God loved the world, not just you. And that kind of discipleship I received over the years 
I've had many mentors. I've had the privilege of having mentors who are world leaders. I praise God for them. At the time they were not very important. And now they are important in the world. But it is their discipling. They're challenging me. I never forget times when, when I'm walking in the street and I see one of my mentors says, Hey, I've got to talk to you about something. And I always say, Uh-oh, what is this about? It's because they've seen me act in a certain way that's ungodly. And they come and help me. Discipleship is interacting with people in their life situation, being part of their life, and they become part of you. Teaching them as well, intentionally, the principles, the basic principles, and then uh, beyond the elementary things, the food, the solid food, and then growing them into full mature believers who are able to reproduce. So you win them, you empower them, to s- and send them. But don't send them alone. Jesus send them alone sometimes to train them. Then they can come back, and then He goes with them. It was wonderful for me to train people on the field. I've always gone two and two. When I take someone, one person was 20 years old when I was 40 years old. I took him for several days, door to door. And he made a lot of mistakes. I let him make mistakes. I prayed for him. I talked to him about how next time he shouldn't be rude. He shouldn't confront them this way. He should be gentler and he should be more effective and so on. This is the kind of discipleship we need in regard not only to their spiritual life, but how they can uh, share that with others. Because we're trying to build them up to be fruitful for the kingdom. And fruitfulness is what keeps me going in my life. I was saved 51 years ago. I was called to minister to Muslims 48 years ago. And I continue to serve the Lord. I came full-time 40 years ago to minister, translating the Bible, planting churches, going door to door. But always either somebody is mentoring me or I am mentoring them. The whole area of evangelism and discipleship is very complicated if we want to complicate it. But it starts with following these principles. One is, you need to realize there's a God's role in this. It's an area of the Spirit, not just intellect and ideas and strategies. But there is room also for those. You need to learn the appropriate strategies that work, fruitful practices that work and produce fruit. But also you have a role. Your role is to pray and seek God for results in your life. Many people say we shouldn't be result-oriented. Yes, we shouldn't be result-oriented, but if we do the right thing, we will produce results. Because God, Jesus said, I have chosen you to go and bear fruit. That's result. And he said earlier in the same chapter, much fruit, that's result. It's a pity that some people say, well, this missionary spent 30 years without any converts. I don't know why he didn't have converts for 30 years, but he should have. Because the Word of God is powerful. If you preach the Word of God, if you teach the Word of God, and it enters the heart and mind of people, 
there is transformation and there is uh, fruit uh, out of that. I pray that this course has helped you learn a few principles. I didn't tell you everything you need to know, but I have shared with you some of the principles that I have found in my life that work and have produced fruit. And the Lord has helped me raise up a generation of converts from Islam who are now continuing in the faith. And many of them are in leadership positions, planting churches and teaching the Word of God around the world. You can do it. Look to God. Look to the Word of God. And take the first step in evangelism. Follow it with discipleship. And follow it with training so that the body of Christ may be built up and that the, world, the Muslim world is penetrated by powerful men and women who have been discipled and trained to shake up their nations and establish the church, which Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it.